Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I love it when people give me referrals to new people. It gives me an opportunity to learn from them. It gives me an opportunity to be horrifically selfish and sit in my own little room here and pick the brains of somebody who is way, 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 way smarter than I am, which of course is the majority of the population. And our guest today is going to talk about something we've never, ever talked about on this podcast. And Liz is going to tell us a little bit about some statistics that are wildly eye-opening. But our guest is Liz Travis Allen. She's an attorney, uh, she's a speaker, and she's a disability activist, right? And we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the business applications of her knowledge around around being a disability advocate and 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 a specialist and an activist. But we're also going to talk about a huge market that very, very few of you are paying any attention to at all. And when Liz goes through these numbers, you're, you're going to be, well, your eyes are just going to be wide open. So Liz, thank you for being on the show and welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Let's begin by finding out a little bit about how you became who you are today. So tell us your history. Sure. So interestingly, my story starts back in uh, 2003, where um, I went from a two-sport Division One athlete at an Ivy League school to bedbound, living with my parents, my mother spoon-feeding me soup. The best way I can describe what happened is that due to multiple bacterial and viral infections, my immune system essentially broke in a way that science doesn't understand. I got bit by a tick, picked up Lyme disease and a couple other tick-borne illnesses, and essentially my health just tanked. I was crawling up my stairs in my dorm room before I ended up at home. I, you know, My heart was beating so loud in my ears, I couldn't hear what people were saying. I was having crazy drenching night sweats and intense pain, um, really incredible brain fog. So I couldn't listen to music or understand TV. And I I actually spent about four years um, in that first bit kind of fighting for my health to be able to be get out of bed and walk around. I went from a wheelchair to using a cane um, and eventually kind of worked my way to a management place with um, this illness. And that's 16 years later, and I'm a lawyer and I work in tech. However, health is still pretty much a full-time job for me. I went to 110 doctor's appointments last year and spent $20,000 out of pocket. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how workplaces and how society in general can be more accommodating for people with invisible disabilities or invisible illnesses. One of the things that I think about a lot is how people can't tell. Um, I'm very, uh, what we call, able passing, which means that people, when you look at me, I look very healthy, totally normal, and you would never know that most of my time and a lot of my brain space is spent managing a chronic illness. And I and let's talk about those statistics. Let's just bust those out right away because yeah. the, the amount of people who have this and, and use those terms again, because I want to make sure people are are starting to bring these into their common dialogue. So you said a couple of different things like the invisible stuff and and being abled in a specific way. Do you mind using those terms again? Sure, no problem. So often people are called either like in, they have invisible illnesses. That's the same thing, a very synonymous with something called a with chronic illness or chronic illness community. And also the term immunodiverse. So someone can be neurodiverse, meaning their brain functions differently. And then there's immunodiversity, meaning that their body systems function differently. 
And those all kind of refer to a set, to a similar set of folks who manage long-term um, health issues like folks who have lupus and MS, Crohn's, colitis, PTSD, mast cell activation, dysautonomia, you know, a whole, whole series of others that maybe you've heard over that you have not. And interestingly, this group of folks is there's over 133 million Americans that manage some sort of chronic health condition, which essentially equals one in five people have some sort of disability, 20% which is wild. And not only is it 20%, but the number is actually growing. So by by next year, they think the number 133 is actually going to grow to 157 million people with 80 million of those folks having multiple different health conditions that they're managing. So not only is this a large portion of the population, but that number is actually growing. How do we even begin to have a conversation in the workplace to find out if we are accommodating this population like we should. And that to me, Liz, is as the CEO of Top Advisor Marketing, I'm terrified of it, right? I'm afraid I'm going to ask the wrong question. I'm afraid I'm going to be um, not as careful or respectful or, or utilizing the wrong terminology. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think it's wildly important for for all companies to make sure that they're making appropriate accommodations because you can't just write off 20% of the population right I mean, and on right. Top of that you now now when we had talked previously you had also said something about worth so before we jump into the how do you handle this from an HR perspective do you remember what you were talking about about worth and productivity yeah i think you'd ask what the best piece of advice I'd ever received. And I I think that, and I believe this very deeply, this is the one thing I've learned over the 16 years of being very ill is that my worth and your worth is not dependent on your output. Meaning like we have worth just because we are human beings and we are alive and not for the things that we are producing and not for the things we are doing. And that's tough in capitalism where people put a lot of premium on your deliverables but I tr- truly believe, and it's the one thing that I have learned deeply, deeply through this process, is that each human that you interact with, whether it be a client or someone on your team, is worthy of your love and support and respect just because they are alive. They are human. Well, let's let's talk about how we have this conversation now. So people hire you to help have these conversations and to, to do um, workplace education, those sorts of things. So, so if you don't mind, uh, educate us. Let, let's talk about how yeah. us as managers or CEOs or, or or entrepreneurs can have these conversations so that we're being sensitive to it and also being inclusive. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, so I speak to often managers and HR departments talking about, um, I see it as essentially two different things on the internal side of things. You talk about recruitment, how do you get folks in the door? And then you talk about retention, how do you keep and support the folks that you have? And with the with the number being so large yet so invisible, you know, if you are working even in a team of four, probably one of you is managing a health condition. And, you know, that could be something like chronic back pain that is, you know, difficult or requires a lot of standing or a different desk setup, or it could be something substantially more complicated, but maybe even more common like cancer pregnancy. Those are also like kind of easily understood disabilities. And I think one of the problems, well, there's two problems when you're thinking about internal, internally managing folks with disabilities is one, there's the narrative is really flat around disability. So a lot of people think, especially illness, that you get sick, you get prescribed some medication, you get better. But for the 20% of the population, the 133 million Americans, that is not the case. 
It's a much more nuanced, much longer battle. Usually there's some sort of flare cycle where people feel worse and then they feel better and then they feel worse again. But not a lot of people have that kind of mental image. You say cancer and people have, they're like, okay, I know chemo. I know your hair might fall out. There might be a death component, maybe not. But if you say something like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, people don't have any idea what that means, let alone what the experience could be. So part of the problem is we don't really know a lot about it. And that's one of people's fears when they don't know and they don't understand. And then they really get afraid of both either having the conversation and then trying to do something about it because they don't know what to do. And the other thing that is tough is that the world is really ableist, meaning that we really put a premium on folks who are able-bodied. And uh, you can see this a lot. One of the things we talk about a lot in the disability world is the social model of disability, which is the idea that if we all were wheelchair users, like if every single person in, in the entire world is in a wheelchair, then the world would just be designed differently. You know, like the ramps would be different, the countertops would be like everything would just be different. And no one would feel disabled because the, the world would just be designed different. And so when you think about either how you're feeling or how to engage in this conversation, you really want to keep that in mind that the world is not designed for folks who have disabilities. They might actually be totally fine. Their impairment would be fine if the world was designed differently. It wouldn't be in an, impair an impairment. It would, you know, it would be totally fine. And so you really want to think about kind of the different structures in your world and in the world that, that you are working with, either within your client or with your employees that are making them feel disabled. And that's really what you're solving for are those pain points. When, I mean, you even just use some terminology that I, I don't think you, the majority of our listeners will 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 be familiar with, and, and one of them happens to be you know a chronic illness, which we're not even really supposed to ask that though. We're we're not supposed mm. to walk up to somebody and say what's wrong with you, right? Yes, um, yes. And you know is that that people have that right, especially you know if you are experiencing a flare up or you're you're really quite uncomfortable, maybe you know you've got something mentally going on, not just physically or both. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can tell when somebody's a little bit out of it. How, how does one even begin to have the conversation to make it so that accommodations can be given um, as necessary without, I don't know, prying too deeply? I don't even see yes. this is a weird yes, thing. Yes. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> Good. I'm so happy I'm here too. So the best way to do this is to put processes um, into place so that you're not relying just on your own either like emotional response or what you've been taught by society because we have all been taught to be ableist. And so by putting in systems that you are in place both proactively and that you're managing too, you kind of eliminate a lot of the like emotional turmoil you're talking about. So for example, and I'm going to give you, I think about disability in two ways. One is like the outward facing product. So for example, with your advisors, how are they marketing and making their product accessible to people with disabilities? And then if they work on a team, how are they accommodating their coworkers or their employees? So in both cases, the big thing to do is to be proactive. So make sure that you are, if you're throwing a conference for or a dinner for, for your clients, that you're asking ahead of time about their accommodations. So that means like adding into the RSVP, you know, do you have any food allergies? Do you have any issues with like light or sound that we need to know about? Do you, do you need wheelchair access? Is this the bill, you know, telling people whether the building is wheelchair accessible is really useful. But there's all sorts of other things that you might not know about. So one of the resources I can give you is this website called askjan.org. And JAN stop, stands for Job Accessibility or Accommodation Network. And it gives you a whole list of accommodations that you can put either on a, on a, 
you know, a form so people can check them off or that you can just simply ask people in an email or via Google form to try to solicit information about what accommodations people need. The key here is to be focusing on the what, not the why. So if someone's like, hey, I really can't be around a lot of overhead lights, that could be for any number of reasons, a traumatic brain injury or PTSD, or maybe they have autism or, you know, any number of things. But the why doesn't really matter as much as the what. And so having some sort of proactive form can really help you get 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 that ahead of time. Ask Jan org And I want every single, we're going to make sure that that's in the show notes list, but I want everybody Great. to go there uh, to make sure that they have those uh, good questions. And, and you just said something that really hit home with me, which is to ask what, not why. You know, we are naturally inquisitive, especially in, in financial services. We're always asking, especially if you do life insurance or insurances, we're asking mm-hmm. really personal questions, right? And so I think a lot of people will default to that. They'll kind of go into advisor mode, but that's not important. That's not appropriate when you're in a workplace situation. Now that might be, that is appropriate if you are actually going through the medical underwriting process and things like that. But let, let's talk a little bit more about maybe some of the accommodations that you see frequently in office environments that will help people feel like they're being they're being listened to and taken care of. Would you, would you mind helping us with that? Sure. Yeah, totally. And actually, I'm going to back up really quick and just give you some sentence starters. I feel like some people have a really... So if you do end up in a one-on-one conversation, let's say you're managing an employee, one of the things to do is write all the accommodations that that employee needs on a what we call a disability passport, essentially like a little plan that has what they need and then action plans and due dates and owners for each of the things. And then you manage to that plan. So it's like essentially like a written agreement. And then you just check in on the agreement to make sure the person still feels supported and if they still need the accommodation or they need it to change. It also sets up a regular cadence and gives you something to like to talk about rather than about the person. You're talking about the paper, which also helps kind of depersonalize it and deescalate it a little bit. And then when you're in these conversations, saying things like, hey, you know, I'm curious to know more about that because our experiences are different. Please know that you don't have to tell me anything you don't want to. I'm just trying to better understand, you know, or something. If someone says, like, you know, I'm just really tired or I'm having trouble concentrating, you can say something like, well, can, what is that like for you? I'd love to know exactly what makes you feel tired in this area, in this environment, so that we can help try to remove it or mitigate it. Something I like that I say a lot when I'm in these conversations is like, you know, I've spent 36 years in my body and it seems to function really differently than yours. So can you slow down and help me understand what you need to do, what help you need to do your best work? Because remember, if people are in pain or they don't feel comfortable, they're not going to be that helpful or that forthcoming or that nice. You know, there's like a really big both like bottom line incentive to help people help your workers feel the best that they can feel as well. And then you asked me another question and I didn't answer it. No problem. Thank you for rewinding on that. That was, that was awesome. And I'm, that was a, that, that was something that I definitely want. Everybody, the language is so important surrounding this. And if you don't know what to say or even how to begin the conversation, you know, what Liz just gave you is gold, right? That, that is going to make you do what you should do as a human, not as an entrepreneur or business person or whatever, but, but just being a human. So my other question was what sort of are, what, what are some of the more common accommodations that you have seen, uh, especially for more of the invisible illness sort of stuff. And so let's say they have the disability passport 
or or the conversation has begun, what are some of the common things that you have found that that office environments will do for accommodations? Yeah, I think a big one is flexibility. So especially with all the like the remote tools, allowing someone to work from home or have a flexible schedule so they can go to doctor's appointments or get their blood draws. A lot of people, you know, a bunch of people need seating near a bathroom, for example, if they've got Crohn's or colitis, but easy access to a single stall can be really important for people. Having a sharps container in your bathroom can be really important. There's a lot of folks who have overstimulation issues for a variety of reasons. And so kind of checking in on noise, lights, smells, all of those can be really important and can be a fairly easy fix. So for example, banning like very smelly perfumes in the office can um, often help people. Sometimes synthetic perfumes will trigger migraines or trigger mast cell activation syndrome for some people. So being able to check in on that. And those are like fairly easy fixes for a lot of people. I think there's a diet is a really easy one that a lot of people know about already, but rather than ask, asking if someone's gluten-free, there's a lot of people who are on anti-inflammatory diets that might require them to cut out a, a certain food group that you could just put on the side. So dairy or nightshades or, um, but allowing people to have space to write in what they actually need rather than just be like, do you want the gluten-free option, the vegetarian option or chicken, but allowing people to kind of write in a little bit more specificity what they require that would go for clients or for um, employees. So those are some of them. And then Ask Jan is great because if someone's like, hey, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis and you're not sure what that means because you don't really have a good narrative, going to Ask Jan, plugging in RA, rheumatoid arthritis, and then you'll see a bunch, a list of a bunch of the accommodations and you can actually bring that up and show it to the employee or to the client and be like, do you need any of these? Like, which ones can we, can I um, help bring to this space so that you feel more comfortable? I love that you just split that in between, you know, people who are, who are working with you and then also the clients. So if everybody just, in, in Liz said one out of four, right? So if you have four people in yeah. your office, most likely one of them is dealing with something uh, on, and it's not black and white. And that's the other thing that you and I talked about previously. This this is a spectrum thing and it's not mm-hmm. always consistent. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So a lot of these illnesses, people like to put a, an accommodations plan into place and then just leave it. Like, you know, whoop, we're done, you know, pat themselves on the back, everyone leaves. But a lot of these illnesses are much more complicated. Like this is the immune system, which we don't understand a lot about, or the gut, which we know very little about, which brain we know even less about. And we no one can really tell. So a lot of people have mental health flares, like maybe they manage m- major depression, but they're not depressed all the time. Usually they go through some sort of flare cycle. And so creating a culture, honestly, if you work in a small team, creating a, like a a culture of trust where someone can be like, Hey, I'm having a flare. I need to do the fall. I need to take the following four accommodations is I think an ideal work situation where people feel like they can actually say that even though there's stigma, but trying to remove the shame of this, of this in the workplace and remove the shame that people feel on some of these, um, especially more tricky illnesses can do a world of good, both for making sure that your employee is doing the best work and that you're supporting them. And of course there is a, you know, I don't like to harp on this because I don't think it's like the most important piece, but there is a legal duty um, in a lot of cases to, to make these accommodations. Well, you know, you are an attorney. I am. <laughs> I am. This is not the law. I actually practice though. So I, well, that's okay. this is not legal advice, everybody. Not legal advice. Good disclosure. Good disclosure. I like that. <laughs> Thank um, you. You, you had also said 
making accommodations in one of those accommodations can be, you know, changing the physical environment or, or even allowing them to work from home. And I, I just want to talk on that for, for a quick second, because we have more employees at Top Advisor Marketing than a lot of our clients do. Mm-hmm. And we cover uh, three countries and two continents. Uh, every single solitary person that we work with works from home. And you, the, the, the concerns of productivity, the concerns of you know, them slacking, the concerns of them not getting their work done, we have not experienced that. Part of that is a cultural thing. Part of that is you know, just an accountability check-in thing. But the other thing is, too, we give our team humongous flexibility. If you have something going on, you take care of the something going on. As long as you know you are able to to do what we have asked you to do in in a reasonable time frame, and we we don't do brain surgery here, Liz. Right? I mean, this <laughs> most companies don't, and so uh, you know people who are so fixated on well, you've got to get that done in a forty hour work week, or you have to be here from you know eight to five, or even worse nowadays seven thirty to six, which is what some people are trying to push. You know, we're as human beings in general aren't meant to be sitting down in one place behind a screen for eight hours a day. That's just bad. Right. Uh, and then if you if so so we're not genetically or, or even whatever predisposed evolutionarily predisposed to do that. On top of that, when you've got people, you know, who have um, issues doing that, on top of the fact that we're not supposed to do that, now you're just compounding some some major stuff. And I'm glad that you just spent a little bit of time talking about. The differences between, you know, uh, when you know when things do get bad. Uh, you know, as a therapist, we used to I used to do a lot of work with people who suffered from depression, and people mm-hmm. have a misconception that if you suffer from depression, you're depressed all the time. That's not the case, right? right? right. You you can have eight months of magnificent, you know, n- right regular everyday mood, right? Very consistent mood, and then all of the sudden, right? You can have yep. a massive reduction in the mood elevating mood management uh, chemicals in your brain and you can have three months of living hell. Uh, and you know people don't really understand that that some of this stuff is cyclical even when it is chronic, it is it can still be cyclical and I'm, I'm really really grateful uh, to you to uh, to do that. Now, I think it's very important because you're doing us a huge favor uh, being on the show in, in sharing your 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 wisdom uh, with with our audience. I would like to be able to return the favor so so if any of our people want to hire you, talk to you, what 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 would you do, and and how can our audience engage you to make sure that they're doing this stuff? Sure, awesome. Well, my big the reason I do this is that I really care about building a better world, and I really would love the entire U.S. population to be familiar with the idea of ableism and invisible illness immunodiversity to be able to examine their own heart and life and practices and change them. So really what I want and I want help with is to help build an inclusive and accessible future across all sectors. So personally, one of the ways I do that is I uh, speak and I try to, and I try to teach. So that means I run workshops. I go to people's uh, offices. I'm on conferences, podcasts, trying to get to the TED stage. So I mean, but mostly I do this work because I love it. This is actually not my full-time job, but I would love to help anyone. I'd love to come to your company, train your managers. I'd love to speak at your conference. I'd love to be on your TED stage if you organize a TED. And mostly what I do is I offer support, resources, help people think about accommodations and building a workplace where folks can be included. And then I also actually, and we haven't touched on this yet, so maybe we can, is I also help people think about how do you brand and market to this 20% of the population that actually has a disability? And this has been a fairly, fairly new piece of it. 
and actually maybe maybe I'll just stop there and no 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 that's that's fantastic I just didn't want to get all the way to the end of the podcast (laughs) without you being able to you know offer your services but let's talk about that you know okay great that's really important to our uh our listeners is multi-generational you know really truly being the family's advisor and and if you're going to be the family's advisor, guaranteed you're going to need to um, to be sensitive to this. So talk about it. Let's go. Let's talk about marketing and yeah. branding and how do you great. get attention and show that you're, you care. Yeah, which is great. So um, I think one of the th- one of the problems is the segment doesn't because there's so much stigma and shame and ableism. People don't realize that um, actually we want to be spoken to and we want to be targeted just like every other group. <laughs> And I think that one of the best examples of this is Tommy Hilfiger and Target, who have recently launched adaptive clothing lines. So for years, people with physical disabilities have been adapting their own clothing so that they can get in and out of it. So they've added magnets instead of buttons. They've been able to shorten their pant legs for a prosthetic. They have sought out only the softest clothing so that it doesn't, with no tags, so so that their overstimulation doesn't get too much. And Tommy Hilfiger and Target recently launched adaptive lines, and it turns out it's over, it's almost a $2 billion, um, or over $2 billion, well over $2 billion industry per year. And people just hadn't, no major clothing company had realized that there was a segment, that there was like this much money in it, and that by creating this clothing, they actually were going to, to increase market share. So I just like to remind people that, that this is something that you can use. And part of the way you signal that you are disability friendly and that you understand is by doing some of the proactive stuff. So if you're inviting prospective clients somewhere that you ask about accommodations, that you have, you know, that you make sure your website is accessible, meaning you caption your photos, you correct for color differential so the colorblind can access, can, can um, access it. You make sure that you state how accessible your event is if you're having an event or if you're having folks over to your office um, and so by signaling these things, it means that, yes, you're talking about it, you're willing to get into it, you're not, you're not afraid of the conversation. I mean, when some of these illnesses are genetic, and so there is a real serious multi-generational issue that, that might come up in terms of how much money you're saving and long-term disability insurance and all these things. And we want people to advise us on what to do and how to manage that. And I think by packaging, by packaging and presenting these as something that you're not afraid to talk about, that you're willing to get into it, I think there's like real market share there too. When you are communicating this to, uh, maybe I'm, I'm uh, just I'm, I was processing and realized I probably shouldn't have started talking before I asked the question. But, uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm not perfect. Um, so you can edit it out. I probably can't. Um, I don't think my team will because they love when I do stuff like this because it doesn't have. Their- <laughs> But, uh, let's um, let's be a little bit more. So, put your mind or put your 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 genius in in the 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 brain of a financial services professional, right? So, you know, a lot of them do educational events. A lot of them do. Most of them are doing meetings in their office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is is there be, besides? I mean, is there any like? Besides going to askjan.org, what what are some of the other things that you can that you can say to broadcast this a little bit more clearly um, that you really truly want to make the accommodations and serve this this organization? Can you can I try to force you to be a little bit maybe more specific or what do you think? Sure. So there is you can also go to ada.org hmm. and that's actually A D A T A 
ACT.org, and it is a national network that has information, guidance, and training on the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is like the legal underpinning of this. But in there, you can actually, there is actually a whole like fact sheet in a whole section about how to write and talk about um, okay. folks with disabilities. And so that can, that's really helpful. You know, and it's also like, for example, if your May is like uh, Mental Health Awareness Month and it is Disabilities Awareness Month and it is Lyme Awareness Month and lupus and chronic fatigue and MS. And so there's just, May is a big month. So one of the, an easy thing you can do, which I've actually heard you recommend before is, is highlighting that, Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging it, actually saying it, you know, happy, you know, happy national um, mental health awareness month. Did you know that one in one in four people, you know, manage a mental health condition? Mm -hmm. Just even putting that out there and acknowledging it helps people see, feel seen and that helps them relate to you more. If that is their, if that is either their situation or the situation of a loved one. I love that. And in fact, we at Top Advisor Marketing have created an entire calendar that we refer to as just our, our we call them the special days calendar, which we highlight uh, every single solitary month. You know, I think it's three to four things like that. And some of them are fun, like National Hot Dog Day, uh, but some of them are a lot more serious, uh, you know, like mental health awareness, disability awareness. You know, we do a lot of stuff around, uh, you know, our advisors seem to be wildly patriotic. So there's a lot of stuff about PTSD and veterans and veteran health issues. But if you don't have something like that, it's so easy to find. If you literally Google, um, you know, what day is today or what days are coming up next week and you can plan your marketing or next month or whatever, you can get these great calendars that will talk more about those and, and be genuine. Liz, I think we feel yeah. that with you, but, but I want all of our listeners to understand that don't represent that you are an advocate for something that you're really not an advocate for. Now, hopefully right. through this podcast and through just living life and realizing that, you know, humans are humans. You should be an advocate and you should be more sensitive to this. But if you're not genuine, you're people are going to sniff you out, right? Yeah. You're a schmuck, right? I, you, you don't believe this at all. You know, you're just trying to, you know, whatever. And making sure that you are representing yourself with that sort of com- communication from a marketing perspective is, is really fantastic. Um, I have a, a old friend of mine and she's actually not a, a current client of our company, but her social media is unbelievable. Uh, and one of the reasons why is because she is wildly inclusive and she, she is fearless when it comes to this stuff, Liz. And she always wants to make sure that she's posting on social media, you know, about depression, mental illness. I think she just recently did something on, um, on Crohn's disease. And, and it's, it's interesting because she's a very high end financial advisor, but in her life experience, um, her clients, kids or her clients have these issues. And she's like, why wouldn't I want to talk about this? These are the people who I serve. Mm-hmm. And there is mm-hmm. a preconceived notion out there that that people who have invisible illness or have immunodiversity or any of these chronic illnesses, they don't have investable assets, right? Right. Do. And as, as you just said with, yeah. yeah, with Hilfiger, right? Or however you pronounce that. Yeah. That's billions of dollars. Right. So, okay. Uh, to wrap up today's podcast, I just want to... Uh, to uh, to just say one quick thing. 
if anybody's doing a TED talk and they want to bring in somebody <laughs> awesome, please, please reach out to Liz because I would love to say, you know, to, for you to call me, you know, six months around and say, hey, I'm on the TED stage, you know, with somebody on the podcast, you know, you gave me a call. So, if you know, I know that there are people out there who are organizing TED. So please, 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 let's let's give uh, Liz a big thank you and a big gift uh, and get her on that TED stage because that's her goal. And if we are the kind of people, which we all are, who love to help people achieve their life's goals, then come on, man, just go ahead and give a, uh, give give her a, a shout out, which which would lead us to the final question, which is what, how should people contact you? Oh, yes. So you can go to my website, Liz Travis Allen, A-L-L-E-N.com, or you can follow me on Medium, which is where I blog about how workplaces can better accommodate those with invisible disabilities. I both look at what workplaces are doing and I suggest things for the future. And, you know, I think the biggest thing I would say is, you don't have to start with me, just start somewhere. Just, you know, ask a question, maybe even survey your clients and your employees to see who does, who is managing a health condition and just start, you know, take one step in a direction where you both get a little bit more data and you try to make your your world and the world around you for others a little bit more accommodating. Magnificent. Liz, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So uh, if you all have a topic that you would love to have us cover on this podcast, all you have to do is email me at matt at topadvisorm.com. And that M is for marketing. Uh, also, if you have a moment, just give us a quick rating on iTunes. We'd really, really appreciate that because we love to hear feedback. You know, Hopefully you like what we're doing. And if you do, please subscribe. If you know anybody who needs to have this information that Liz Travis Allen just shared with us, please just click that share button below. That way uh, we can continue to expand people's consciousness and truly understand that 20% of the population is something that we have to pay attention to. And you're a good human. It's the right freaking thing to do. So just freaking do it, right? That boy, that was that was probably strong, but I didn't swear, so I just want to say that that was a, a little lighter of a freaking there. But anyway, um, this this is wildly important. And as Liz said early on in the podcast, we're at 133 million people right now in the United States. That number is only going up, and so this this is a, a huge aspect of the population that you would you could very well be the only person who's marketing to, who's accommodating to, who shows that they care, which could be a magnificent opportunity to help people who truly need it with something we all believe in. So. For Liz Travis Allen and everybody at Top Advisor Marketing, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.